0: This is Afterthoughts.
1: The Teenagers.
0: Hello, Alice May Pukis.
1: Hi, Toby Peach.
0: And hello to our listeners for this, a short cast uh, episode of Afterthoughts, The Teenage Years.
1: We are back for another Bite-sized
0: episode. Yes, these bite-sized episodes are an opportunity for us to look back at some of the themes from series four, the teenage years, uh, as an opportunity to kind of look at where they're connected, but also then to point towards ways that we can hear these stories and where we might move on to or move towards after listening to them.
1: Absolutely, because we listen to the stories um, on the episodes, but then we don't necessarily point you in the direction of where you might find more support um, and more information. Um, But in these bite-sized episodes, in these shortcasts, we do. So, Toby, what's the theme of this episode?
0: Uh, The theme? Not to be too critical of us, Alice, you know. But but we
1: we concentrate on the stories. These are stories and education and... Um, information
0: right, right, great 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 uh, <laughs> the theme of uh, this sh- shortcast is around fertility which is something that crops up uh, every series but we have seen a number of our storytellers bring us a story on fertility in series 4 and we're going to go into Aidan's story to kick us off Aidan let's hear from you
2: So my last conversations um, are based on sort of sexual health and mainly focused on um, sperm banking um, during, just before my treatment. Um, I didn't know it was something I had to do um, until I was uh, just doing some work for my cousin. I received a call and um, just sort of casually towards the end, she was like, oh, by the way, should I book you in for tomorrow to come in? to get the blood test done for um, your sperm banking and i was just sort of there an 18 year old guy who was still in shock for the fact that um, i had cancer um definitely shock i'd never pro- I'd never actually ended up processing but um and just going what like i have to i have to do sperm banking i had to do blood tests for it like wh- what is going on um and so she was sort of like yeah you know one of the side effects of chemo is really unlikely um but um you could become infertile and so obviously better safe than sorry that you have um some sperm frozen I was like okay I I guess so um so um I do do the blood tests and everything and then I'm waiting for an appointment at Hammersmith Hospital uh which is where I did my sperm banking and um I remember when I first got the phone call from them they said, we can book you in for two weeks to which my reply was my first chemo is in two days. So they went, okay, um, well, we can just probably fit you in first thing, um, tomorrow morning. And I was like, perfect. Um, and again, as an 18 year old guy, knowing exactly what I was about to go do, um, I didn't want my mom coming with me. So I took the train up at like 7am all the way up to Hammersmith, um, nearly walked into the prison by accident. Um, rather than the hospital, I'd never been there before. Um, I go inside, I have to find the andrology department. Um, I arrive, the doors aren't open. I know I'm the first patient there for the day. So I knock on the door and no one's there. I'm obviously super nervous, still don't really know 100% what's going on. Um, they open the door and first thing they do is just hand me a load of forms. Um, I'm there signing forms, ticking boxes. Half of them like, why are you asking me this? Like, am I signing away my soul? Um, have I just sold like myself to research by accident or something? Um and then you basically trade in these forms and they just give you a cup. Um, and they just sort of like that, like, you know what you you know what you have to do. Um, and again, as an 18-year-old, I've never been this nervous for just just to masturbate. Um, and you go in. And the seats aren't even, like, made well for the the experience. Um, And it's it's just the most bizarre experience ever. And once it's done, you get sent some more forms in the post um, for you to to tick and whatnot. Again, none of this is explained. Um, They normally, apparently, get you to sit down with someone for the second lot of forms. Because of COVID, I couldn't do that. And so they just sort of went, okay, the alternative is just that's a shame for you um and then after that it just wasn't spoken of nothing I didn't receive any you know oh yeah by the way we've we've got your sperm and it's frozen there's nothing wrong with it um didn't receive anything about that um and then time ticked on and toward the end of my treatment I then started sort of having like okay well I remember I froze sperm but like will I need it um I know I've only signed up for about I think technically you you get a minimum of like five years. And then after that, they have to basically check if you actually need the sperm frozen or not. And so I then had to rack up the courage to ask my nurse and then my consultant, what do I do to get it all checked? To which their response is just someone will email you, someone will call you close to the time of that. And time went on and no one emailed me and no one called me. And it's just, it was just something that I was really anxious about because again, As now a 19-year-old, I've now um, put the idea there is a possibility that I may not be able to to, um, naturally have children, but no one's really there discussing it with me or like explaining to me how I could find out. Um, It's always someone else will be able to do that, but it would be really nice if that someone else was revealed to me so I could get in contact with them first.
0: So that is Aidan's perspective and talking about the impacts of going through these kind of conversations about fertility uh, as a young man. And now we're going to move on to Sharmia to hear a female perspective on it as well.
3: Um, I think I will go with the fertility aspect Um, because, yeah, it was quite a big big aspect of it all um I ended up going up to Chelsea and having kind of my initial assessment and there it was mentioned kind of very briefly like oh you might want to do some fertility preservation do you think that would be something you're interested in and I said yes at the time and then went along um to my local kind of fertility clinic so basically yeah they do a lot of like scanning um is one big thing um and they basically just check out I think Kind of what stage of your cycle you're at, and then, I mean, I'm gonna get the science wrong, but they basically want you to ovulate, I think, <laughs> um, so they can then like collect your eggs, and that is done like with a surgery that you go under sedation for, I think, because I remember coming out of mine, and weirdly, actually, I I didn't know my gynecologist, but he was my like someone my sister went to school with's dad. So it's kind of like I knew of him and because I live in a very small town, it's kind of one of those, like, you know, most of the doctors going. So I knew of him and it was that slight fear of like, do you recognise me? Do you know me? Or are we just being really professional? It was all quite odd. Um, but he was a really lovely guy and I remember coming out of surgery and he was like, you you were really wriggly, like we had to we had to pin you down. <laughs> um But yeah, you basically go through like injections of hormones to kind of speed up that ovulation process and make your follicles bigger. Um, And so those were like two injections a day, I think. Weirdly, I had just... (laughs) This is like the juxtaposition of making these really adult decisions but being a complete and utter child. Um, Anyone that knows me well will know I'm a five-year-old at heart. And I had just watched Frozen 2 for the first time, I think, just after I was diagnosed and um so every time I did my injections my sister would put on them some things never change from that soundtrack and now when I listen to that song it gives me that slight PTSD of of doing my needles (laughs) um yeah you have your two daily injections and then I didn't really feel any side effects but I had a lot of like side effects from my steroids anyway so you can't really tell at that point what's what um and then you go in and you have your egg collection and then they basically go in a freezer and you forget about them. <laughs> um, and then I think at five years that gets kind of reviewed and they decide what happens to them. And then at 10 years they get destroyed if they're not needed anymore. So, um, And it wasn't until I was sat there that it kind of really dawned on me what that entailed. Um, and it for me it meant kind of delaying my treatment by a couple of weeks um, to kind of have a cycle of treatment. Um, and then have egg preservation so um for me it was very much a toss-up between if I delay this by a few weeks will that then like have some down the line consequence meaning that I don't get better um and actually what happened was my fertility preservation got booked for a Thursday afternoon and I got a phone call and it was like yeah this is all looking good we can do it and then have that all sorted. And later that day I got a phone call saying, we're going to put your port in and do your first chemo on Thursday. And I just remember saying, but I'm, I'm having my eyes preserved that day. Like what, what? Um, and so it ended up that my port couldn't go ahead and my chemo had to be delayed. And I remember actually just like crying down the phone to the person that I was telling going like, I don't want to delay this. I, I need to like start. Um, and that ended up being like a huge blessing in disguise because if I hadn't had my pork delayed, I wouldn't have gone along on the day I did and met my cancer buddy. So, you know, I'm very much a like fate person. I'm so like spiritual and borderline superstitious. Um, but yeah, egg preservation was a huge thing that like caused a lot of bumps in the road on the way to chemo. And I think that was probably the most isolating aspect of the whole cancer was feeling like most people my age don't even have to think about this for another you know decade or so and um just questions like you know as a single person doing egg preservation being asked all the like typical questionnaire questions like do you have a partner who you'd like to do IVF with now I was kind of like well no (laughs) I think that's pretty obvious but um Yeah, all these questions that just felt very adult and very grown up. And I kind of just turned 18 and was still at school at the point um, this was all happening. And just thinking to myself, it's not fair that I have to worry about this. And I think fertility in general is such a difficult one because whether you're male or female and whether you want kids or don't want kids, it's something you're forced to think about by default with, with doing it. And it's so sad that people our age have to even like face the idea that they might not be able to have children um so I feel very lucky that I got to do it but it's also just a really weird thing that 13 of my eggs are sat somewhere in a freezer (laughs) and my friends all make jokes like you know oh when you meet the right person we'll like ring up and tell them to switch the freezer off like all these really crude odd jokes that just no one else my age is having jokes like that made (laughs) no one (laughs) Um, and I look back and I'm kind of I am kind of like how did I do that but it's always that thing where I I feel quite uncomfortable when people say that I was brave or inspirational or whatever because I'm kind of like I'm not pretending I wasn't brave but I kind of had to be like there wasn't a choice around that so I think with regard to fertility when I go how did I do that it's just kind of the answer is because you had to so Um, yeah I feel very lucky to have been able to do it for sure
1: so that was Shamia for her perspective on fertility treatment and last but not least we're going to hear Tegan's story about her fertility preservation treatment
4: When I was diagnosed, I was so it was the day before my 18th birthday. And then obviously, like when you have cancer, you gotta like sign a waiver, which I feel like everyone that's had cancer knows that you have to sign it. But signing it drugged up to me is very pointless because I don't have a clue what I'm signing. Like, yes to everything. Give me it all, all the drugs. Um so I remember signing it and it's like, oh, like if you can't have kids, then basically it's not our problem. And it's like, right, okay. My mum cried about it. And I was like, I'm 19 years old, why are you crying? Like, get a grip. Like, it's not that deep. Then I went to FISO. I think I went two years later. And there was a talk. And in that talk, there was a girl who had two children. She had one before she was diagnosed. And then she was pregnant on the day that she was diagnosed with the second me and one of the nurses that I was with who like made me go to the top because she was like nah like we'll go we'll go together we were in there crying our eyes out like hyperventilating crying like it was bad and it was just like that touched me differently and like this like the girl like I could identify with her like she looked very similar to me and I was like this is actually very deep so then when I got back I asked my consultant to refer me and then two hours down the line, I was getting my eggs out, like literally that that far down the line. So, yeah, that was a whole journey. And that's also going in the back of your head, like, the whole time. And in September, I was two years post-treatment, so therefore I don't have anything to do with the hospital. But, yeah, I'm still going to the hospital three times a week to get something different done that's still connected to it. And it's just a bit crazy how... Even in the cancer world, two years post-treatment, you're kind of done. But I really wasn't done. That's like, yeah. And then I had my eggs out and it was fine. They could have been doing anything. They knocked me out. Didn't feel a thing. Felt great after. Would recommend. <laughs> would recommend. <laughs> I should have said like 10 out of 10. 10 I'd 10 would recommend. Because I thought the nurse was a bit rude.
0: You're not giving them, like,
1: a review on, like, yeah. <laughs> Trip advisor, 10 out advisor. of 10 would recommend.
4: Do you know what it is, right? I went into the room. When I describe it to other people, I'm like, I went into this room, yeah, and it was, like, a clinical sex dungeon. <laughs> In the nicest possible way, there's, like, a weird small bed on there, and then they've got, like, stirrups, but they're, like, black and, like, leather. Like, they could have picked, like, pink and fluffy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, to make it a bit more inviting. Or, like, even blue, like, clinical blue but it's just the black it's a bit stark what's in there were two men there that were looking like they should have been like henchmen but they weren't and it was just like a whole like they serve your eggs through like you know one of them boxes like when you had school dinners and you used to like retrieve. it's like that and I was like I literally said to them this is crazy like this is wild I always try and spin stuff in a positive way or like I always try and like take the positives out of the experience so I feel like with the egg retrieval like I was down mad at one point like best believe I was questioning like I was like is this even worth it like I feel awful and hormonal and my face is all spotty and this isn't a good look and whatever but actually at the end of it I was like really was it that bad no so now like throughout the journey even when I was down bad I've still got to look at the positives within the experience so like okay some of the sisters I found were a bit rude and they don't understand me and I feel like that's because I'm not their demographic demographic but there was like three nurses that were top tier like they were just like, it's okay, like, you can be emotional. And I was like, I'm sorry, it's just a lot's going on. And they're like, it's okay. And I'm like, you're so understanding. And it was just like, it was just great.
0: So there were a couple of stories from the teenage years looking at fertility. And it is something that comes up regularly on Afterthoughts. And... I think one of the pleasing things for us here at Afterthoughts is the fact that it's a conversation that we know needs to keep happening and storytellers come on and they share their perspective on it and I do think that every time it feels like we're kind of understanding it a little bit more and I just hope that our listeners are taking things that can help them understand what they might be going through as well.
1: Absolutely. I love that every time we have a new storyteller on talking about fertility, we're unpicking it a little bit more. And um, I love that in this series, you got to learn more about the female side of things because you didn't realise that it wasn't just one day. It's um, really, It's been really interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked about
0: this uh, a number of times, how we look at the fact that men don't talk about fertility Very often, like and infertility, and like yeah, it's something slightly strange to us. But then here we are, like throughout the the series, we like we. I remember Ryan coming on from Series One and telling Mm. us an incredibly important and emotional story about his experience of being
1: Mm.
0: going through uh, treatment and uh, being infertile. Um, -hmm. so it's so so important, and it's great to have the stories from. Tegan and Shamia, this series as well. Absolutely. What
1: can, what can we take
0: from some of these stories, Alice?
1: I think the first point that's really important to take from these stories is I appreciate that this is the teenagers and as a result, um, we are talking to people who potentially are, you know, sort of 14 to 24 um, and may not be thinking about children you may not it may not even be on your agenda it may not even be on your radar it may be the very last thing on your mind um and I know that when I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 26 it was so far from my agenda like I couldn't even decide what I wanted for my tea let alone whether or not I wanted to have kids but I think the conversation that we're having about fertility treatment, um, these conversations are so important. And even if it feels like the last thing that you want to think about when you're having cancer treatment, think about your future self when you're thinking about these fertility conversations, because you never know where you're going to be in five, ten you know maybe even 15 years if you're on the younger end of things Um so think about your future self and try and make decisions with those in mind as hard as it might be
0: yeah and i want to highlight this point about like when we're going through treatment and we are people talk to us about the fact that our fertility might be affected and at that stage it can seem in counter to some of the other things that are also side effects. It can seem like a minor, a more minor aspect of it, Mm. uh, potentially to people because they're faced with other difficult decisions that might impact their life and at that stage particularly at a young life you might be like oh okay I know from my perspective seeing uh, fertility impact impacts on the side effects list that it wasn't as big a deal to me as uh, yeah there was a potential of not living and I think that yeah that but I think we should really note and I think it's important to note that at that point it might have seen, seen minor but it also mm-hmm. can become major mm-hmm. and uh, it might be that you're a year post, post-treatment and or post-diagnosis and you're starting to realise that that was slightly slightly bigger and just the importance of talking about it, that talking Mm -hmm. about infertility is really important and talking to other people about how that feels and grieving and the fact that you might be grieving that. And I think it's really important to go, you have got people to talk to, it's okay to talk about it in contrast to going yes i might have like you might be like oh i'm grateful because i've i've survived these treatments and things like that blah 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 mm. but it is a case of going <laughs> there is lasting impacts and an invisible impact that we constantly see on afterthoughts is about the impacts uh, from infertility and mm. so talk to others about it
1: yeah and i think just to add to that as well it's something that you touched on there and i'm i'm slotting something in toby we haven't discussed this um but you know even if your future self feels unattainable when you're in the situation think still try and think about them even if it feels out of even if they feel out of reach because you're in the throes of this life-threatening illness Mm. just think that they might they might be there i think that's an important thing and think about the impact on them um And yeah, that's just something I wanted to throw out there because, you know, Future planning for cancer patients is very hard. Future planning for people who've been through cancer is very hard. Very hard. Um, It's something that you and I both still struggle with now. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah, it's still important. Um, And there was another thing that you wanted to touch on as well. well.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to talk about from the male uh, perspective as well, just something that has like kind of I've experienced and I think is something to offer um, as that that might, Uh, occur for other young men who have gone and um, deposited sperm and then they've left it there and then they're kind of living with this kind of uh, thought that uh, because of their treatment that they might be infertile and one of the things I'd like to kind of offer is that there is uh, although it might be easy to go, oh, I'm going to forget about that and put it to the side and things that going to talk to somebody about actually your fertility status is really important. And when you feel comfortable to do that, I think it's a really good opportunity to kind of work out like how how has the treatment actually impacted my fertility? Because we do, we get rushed into the deposit sperm or <laughs> sometimes you get rushed in to have your eggs frozen and things like that. And then, and then you go through your treatment and it's kind of a case of get back on with your life and, and your sperm stays frozen and it's a case of going, you might not, uh, might not think about it for a while because it's quite difficult to. Mm-hmm. But the thing I'd offer is to go and get yourself um, checked, go and see how your fertility has actually been impacted because they are starting to realise that some treatments, although it might say that fertility will be affected, you might not actually be infertile. And I know from my perspective that I believed I was infertile for eight years and then found out that I was actually fertile. And it was a case of being, it's just something I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known earlier and I'd offer that of going, go and, go and check out. And it might be that those, those you've frozen things for the right reason because your fertility doesn't come back. But it also might be that you do have the opportunity to that your your sperm counts have returned and things like that. So go and chat to your doctors. Go and find out if how your fertility has been affected.
1: Yeah. I love that Toby. I think that's such a, a generous offer to the listeners um, and then yeah lastly I think my my final point is that I think um, you know we appreciate that across the UK things are very different but I think if any of this is resonating with you uh, it's it's really important to speak to your team um, it, your medical team you know it might be that you didn't you weren't able to preserve your eggs or your sperm before your treatment um, And it might be that you, you know, you haven't done that and it's something that you want to explore. So speak to your doctors, speak to, you know, if you've got a cancer nurse specialist, speak to them. Um because even if you are still fertile, some cancer treatments can affect your fertility in the long term. um, And there are things that you can do to take control of the situation. Um, So I think it's just about having the conversation, speak to the people who can help you, you know, take control of of the situation that you find yourself in. Maybe that's your... um, Maybe that's your oncologist, maybe it's a surgeon, whoever you're under, um, speak to them and and see what you can do, because it is just about taking back some of the control that cancer took from you. And I think that's so important because so much control is taken away from us. Anything that we can regain um, or reclaim is, is super important.
0: Thanks, Alice. And I think that's that's it for the fertility shortcast. But we will put lots of links in the show notes so that yeah. you can follow up on all of these points. We can point you towards some incredible um, places that you can go to. Teenage Cancer Trust have got a ton of resources there about fertility. Um, and thanks to our storytellers for sharing those small snippets. You can dive into all of their episodes if you would like to meet them more in detail and their experiences uh, by going back to series for the teenage years. If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, we really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support.
1: Thanks so much to Teenage Cancer Trust for supporting Afterthoughts, the teenagers, and supporting teens and young adults diagnosed with cancer in the UK. The work they do is incredible. Find out more at teenagecancertrust.org.
0: Afterthoughts is produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts, with sound design from Dinah Mullen and Kieran Lucas.